Hey there, Eyes Free Sports fans. Kickstart your health and wellness journey with a twist. Introducing Couch to Active, where health and fitness for the blind and visually impaired community finally gets the fun treatment it deserves. Couch to Active offers personalized one-on-one coaching, exciting group classes on Zoom, and expert guidance in weight management. It's not just about getting fit, it's about having a blast while doing it. I've personally tried their classes and have thoroughly enjoyed them. Don't miss out on the fun. Join the Couch to Active community today and start your journey to a healthier and happier you. Learn more at couch2active.com. Couch, T-O, active.com. Or call 206-672-2070. 206-672-2070. Couch to Active, where fitness and fun go hand in hand. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 105 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on episode 105, our guest is a gentleman from the Fort Worth, Texas area, who is actually in the Beat Baseball Hall of Fame, is a longtime runner, and has competed in a number of adaptive sports for the blind and visually impaired. In addition, he also worked for nearly 40 years in the field of vocational rehabilitation and has some interesting points on employment for the blind. So let's get moving now with episode 105. All right, so my guest here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports is Scott Hudson. And uh, Scott is actually a National Beat Baseball Association Hall of Famer a longtime marathon runner, and overall just very accomplished adaptive athlete. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, Greg. I've really been looking forward to it. Awesome. Really appreciate you taking the time. And I did want to mention uh, a recent guest I had on, Wendy Fagan, actually uh, recommended that I reach out to you, and I'm just super honored to, to chat with you here today. Great. Uh, so why don't we just kick things off here with uh, just your background as far as uh, where you're originally from and your early years. Okay. Well, I was born in the extremely small town of 3,000 people in uh, West Texas uh, named Colorado City. It's about five hours west of Dallas for those people not familiar with Texas. It's in the middle of the desert with lots of mesquite trees and tumbleweeds and like that. And... Uh, me, uh, I have retinitis pigmentosa, which is hereditary, probably a lot of y'all know. So my my mom, my sister, and me had it. We're the only three blind people in Colorado City. So that, uh, you know, created some some real challenges, needless to say, growing up. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. And just, I'm sure, not a whole lot of access to resources and whatnot in a small town, right? Correct. Gotcha. So as far as education, were you mainstreamed or where did you go to school? I was. I, I went to public school. This uh, I went to school uh, in the late 50s and in 60s, graduated from high school in 1970. And as those people are familiar with retinitis pigmentosa, uh, I was born not blind and I had tunnel vision, but my central vision was was still uh, fairly good. I could read regular size print up until I was in junior high, and then I moved to large print. So 
you know, the school system really didn't know a lot what to do with me, but uh, my mom was a, a genius at resources. And when I got in high school and got where it was difficult to read, she found a place that would uh, tape uh, my books. And then I had large print books too. And then uh, the teachers, you know, you'd think in a small town would be very close-minded and narrow-minded, but they were really amazing. Uh, you know, they gave me my test orally. Uh, you know, they printed out stuff in large print when I had to take like the SAT test. That it was all verbal. Um, you know, they'd read, uh, like I say, read my test to me. My dad would record stuff that wasn't on there. So it was kind of took a, a village uh, to solve the problem. But the uh, the school district was, um, you know, very accommodating and. Uh, some ways it would have been nice to go to school for the blind at least later on just to learn better socialization and like that. In fact, I was going to say like one of my turning points is my junior year of high school, my mom had found out that they had a summer program at the school for the blind in Austin for uh, kids that were from around the state that, you know, were mainstream, but they didn't, of course, back then they didn't have BI teachers. And so when I went there, that's the first time I ever met another blind person in my life. And hmm. I was so blown away because uh, some of those the kids there went to the School for the Blind, and they were so independent and so self-confident. Their mobility skills were incredible. And, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, this is what I can be. And it, it, you know, I was scared to go. By the time I left, I was just, yeah, you know, I just didn't want to leave. And then... After I graduated from school, I went to what then was called Arkansas Enterprises for the Blind because uh, that was a rehab center for college prep. And that's where I kind of honed my other skills, my mobility skills, braille skills, uh, things like that to, to pre prepare for college. So those was a big turning point in my life is just meeting other blind people and building confidence. Exactly. Yeah. And I also like, uh, you know, I, I know you mentioned your parents and their support and mm -hmm. I was also lucky enough to have and still have, you know, super supportive parents who have kind of advocated for me at times and also taught me how to advocate, you know? Um, so that's, you know, we're definitely grateful. I think we can both say that, uh, as far as our parents go. Absolutely. So then uh, as far as college, you did go to college? Yes, I went, uh, I got my undergraduate degree in San Angelo State, which was another smaller college, about 6,000 people. And once again, I was the only blind person there. And it was that whole deal of, again, of, and all, you know, anyone listen to this that is blind is just like, you know, they had to, all, everyone's had to go through this. You have to educate your professors. You have to you know, ask permission to take the lectures. You have to arrange, you know, to have tests given. You have to arrange to get readers. You have to, you know, do all this self-advocating on your own. And and when you're just 18 and you're from a, a small town and your, your self-confidence is really not that great because you're not used to talking to, especially like doctors, you know, <laughs> doctor degrees and you know, tell them what right. you need. It's very nerve-wracking. But, you know, uh, the training and help I got while I was in summer school at School for the Blind and Arkansas uh, Enterprise for the Blind kind of prepared us uh, to do that. And, you know, the professors, you, you had some that were not as 
open-minded, but in general, they were, they were all, you know, very supportive. And then, and then I got my master's degree at University of Texas in vocational rehabilitation. Oh, nice. So you are a longhorn. <laughs> I am. I am. I, I bleed orange. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, they got a big game coming up uh, tomorrow. And they I'm re- do. Recording this before the the playoffs. So. Yeah, I can hardly wait. <laughs> yep, yep, would be cool to see them move on. <laughs> yes. Um, so then, as far as your career, so I know you mentioned uh, majoring in it was vision rehabilitation, right? Yes, that's uh, I majored in vocational rehabilitation. Uh, I got my master's in that, and it it was the timing couldn't have been better because of. Uh, you know, the VR Act, Adults with Disability Act of 1973, opened up a lot of vocational re- rehabilitation jobs. And so it was a hot area to get employment in. And I had just graduated. So uh, I'll never forget, and I'm sure, uh, Greg, and you of uh, your other listeners face the same thing. I, I didn't have the opportunity that I wanted to to work and get work experience through high school and college. Because first off, I wasn't aware what I could do. And by then, my vision was, you know, as a cane user, my vision was even worse. And, you know, employers certainly didn't do so. I just concentrated on academics. Well, when I started applying for jobs, they wanted work experience. Well, you got your education, but what about work? And I like, you know, it's so <laughs> frustrated because I thought, oh, my God, you know, I made it through my master's. I can do this. But they, sure, they sure. just, you know, hard to break through the door. And I had a, uh, when I uh, first applied at the, what was then called the Texas State Commission for the Blind, you know, the interviewer said, look, you know, go get some experience a year or two and then come back and we'll think you'd be great. Well, I, I was fortunate. I was living in a little town called Lufkin at that time. And they had a, the counselor for the Commission for the Blind there had an in. Um, back then it was called a CETA program, which was a, it was a work program where the government would actually pay the employer part of the salary if they would hire, you know, someone that was, you know, disabled or economically disadvantaged. So I got hired hmm. on a, uh, a Title 20 uh, daycare center as a social worker, which I had no experience at, knew nothing about kids. But they hired <laughs> me on and, and I really enjoyed it and worked there two years. And then an opening came open in uh, Fort Worth for uh, you know, job with the Commission for the Blind and got it and worked there 37 years. Wow. Almost four decades. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> awesome job. Yeah. And I'm sure you had many, many clients. And did you work kind of on the client side then? I did. Uh, I, you know, it's the whole deal. For, I guess every state has a vocational rehabilitation program, but primarily my job was as a coordinator to people walk in that were blind that wanted to work and my job was to coordinate to get them first off all of the independent living skills so they could you know compete in employment or get education and once you know by going to a rehab center and rehabilitation teachers and O&M instruction adaptive technology training everything they needed to prepare themselves and then assisted them in uh, you know we would pay for college or trade school training and then help them uh, find employment and it's very rewarding because uh, you know I got to see hundreds and hundreds of people go to work and you know that's what it's all about get people to work 
Oh, yeah, I'm sure just, you know, seeing folks walk in the door and then, like you said, their journey to employment and a rewarding career, I'm sure was really rewarding for you as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the unemployment rate is very high for visually impaired, around 60 or 70 percent. A lot of it is just lack of uh, opportunity or knowledge uh, or, you know, rehab agencies or, you know, the hassle you have to go through and you know, uh, you know, find employment, convincing, convincing an employer to hire you. But, uh, you know, I, I was very, very fortunate. Absolutely. And that does remind me of something I'd read not too long ago about uh, that, that statistic of unemployment, you know, especially in the blind community and really how that has not changed since the 70s, mm -mm. Um, you know, 50 years, which is kind of scary. You'd think with technology and maybe a little more awareness about, you know, what people with disabilities can do as time has gone on. But yet that, that number remains, you know, pretty stagnant. Yeah, they keep moving the goal uh, post because, you know, uh, technology comes around. Well, and, you know, that's great. You learn the technology. What well, time you learn that technology? They've got new apps, new programs, uh, you know, that uh, you know, speech software hasn't caught up with yet or large print. So they do that. It's just constantly moving the goals. And another, you know, problem is a lot of the stuff to keep you competitive. You're, you're having to deal with multiple screens and move from one to the other and, and process information in a, a very fast manner. And no matter how you good are, are with that equipment, you just can't do it as fast with someone with 20-20 vision. So it's just a you know challenge to meet the requirements that they have. Exactly. No question. All right. So then moving on to sports. Um, so as a, as a kid, I assume you did play some sports growing up? Oh, my gosh, Greg. I, I know this is going to sound... Uh, <laughs> So Texan, but everything you've heard about Texas in small town sports is absolutely true. The whole town <laughs> turns out for every sport there is, baseball, volleyball, you know, basketball, everything. So the time, as long as I can remember, I was into sports because my dad, you know, took me to everything. So I wanted to, you know, participate in everything I could. And, uh, my dad was an extremely good athlete, and I was fortunate enough to inherit a lot of his abilities. But um, my vision was poor enough for uh, baseball and basketball and football. I, I could play just, you know, uh, with other friends and like that. But the depth perception was very difficult uh, for those sports to do it well. So in high school, um, you know, track and field was the one thing I could do with the vision I had and, and uh, you know, did really well at. Though my favorite uh, was always baseball. And so when I went uh, in 1977, uh, when I was hired at the Commission for the Blind, they sent me down to Austin for one-month training. And I met uh, a couple of guys named Tommy Craig and Mike Martin that had found out about beat baseball through the Braille Sports Foundation, and they'd actually got some equipment, and they were just kind of starting to play, and they taught me, you know, taught me it, and I just was like, and I think a year, two years before that's when they had the very first World Series, and so I mean, I just 
fell in love with it. So when I got back to Fort Worth, I got together with some other blind people uh, and the Lighthouse for the Blind, and they got enthusiastic about it. And we, you know, you know, formed a team. And then in 1978, um, we played our first game, an exhibition game against Houston. And then the next year, uh, we we really we really started going. You know, formed a Texas uh, league. And at one time, 1980, we had like ten teams just in Texas. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> it was just, so we played each other you know, all the time. And then in 1979 is we went to our first world series in Topeka, Kansas. And our very first tournament, we finished third. And, uh, wow. and then, uh, you know, while we played, we won, let's see, three world series. We finished second seven times and third, four times. We never, four, and we never finished out of the top six in the, 20 years I played deep baseball. We always finished in the top six. Mm-mm. That's amazing. We had wow. a tremendous team. We had uh, one of the best pitchers, Frank Mathena, that's in the Hall of Fame, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Definitely know the name. And uh, we had all of our people, uh, guys on our team were, you know, extremely good athletes uh, and had lost their vision. You know, they were natural athletes. Uh, unfortunately, in the 80s, we ran upon uh, Albuquerque. We won like eight, seven or eight World Series in a row that were like one of the legacy teams. And then in the 90s, Austin came around and they won like nine in a row. <laughs> and so it just, uh, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, that's why we kept finishing second and third. <laughs> we couldn't get past those. Right, right. Kind of like the Patriots or, you know, the Chicago Bulls, one of these dominant teams that just dominated their era. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so then you personally, any any moments or any games that really stand out to you, any plays uh, maybe that you were involved in in your career? Oh, yeah. There, there was uh, three, really, that when we won our first World Series in uh, 1980, uh, and then we were playing against BSF to see who went to the championship game, and I got the, you know, the winning hit, and uh, and then the one that uh, still hurts to this day in 1995, uh, we were playing Austin in Colorado for the World Series, and uh, we uh, were playing the championship game, and they'd already, you know, won once, so we. We won the first game and played back the second game, and we came in uh, to the bottom of the six, tied up, and um, oh no, we were behind by one run in the leadoff batter. Roy got a run. I struck out. The next guy struck out to get next guy grounded out. We ended up in extra innings and ended up losing. It just uh-huh. broke our hearts. You know, here we had a chance with three outs to win, and we didn't. So that. It was horrible. <laughs> no doubt. Yep. But we did win three World Series. And it's kind of poignant because in, when the one we won in 1991, our pitcher said, you know, told us to 
smell the grass and enjoy it because you know in baseball you never know when you're going back and sure enough you know we never know one another one exactly savor it and you know just you never know like you Mm -hmm. said (laughs) and did you i know like in this day and age you know some teams actually do have championship rings and different things did you actually have any rings or anything to, to represent those titles no you know back in it really wasn't a thing and, and we didn't do that just you know the trophies uh, from winning and then I, I was fortunate enough to be in the all-star team you know 10 times and so I, I had that you know from being on the all-star team and it's one of those things is is i'm not a very i'm not big i'm like 511 and weighed 160 but I was blessed with extremely good speed. So um, I always was, you know, like in the top in in hitting. A lot of that was just because of of speed. And that's why I ended up in the the Hall of Fame is because my lifetime batting average was was so high. Wow. And yeah, just talk to me about, uh, you know, learning of your induction and uh, when that was and just kind of what that meant to you. It was probably the one of the top three most significant things that ever happened in my life because like I was telling you, I absolutely loved sports of all top and was just sick that I never could play. And then all of a sudden you know, I found about beat baseball, United States Association of Blind Athletes and Go Ball and, and all these sports and all of a sudden, you know, you're participating in them. And then to be recognized in the Hall of the Fame, I was nominated in 2022 but i actually got in 2023 because the world series is oklahoma city it was easier for uh, me to get there and and our uh, frank our pitcher actually came up in in uh, you know uh did the introduction and hand me the plaque which meant everything in the world and seen a lot of the old players and it just meant everything to me greg i i, I can't tell you i think the only other Two or three things meant equal to me was I got to carry the Olympic torch in 20, 2002 when the, uh, the Winter Olympics were in Salt Lake and it came through Fort Worth. And one of my friends uh, nominated me, uh, you know, to carry the torch and I got selected. And uh, that was incredible. Wow. That was unbelievable. And then. Mm-hmm. And then I think when I ran my first marathon, it was, you know, such an accomplishment. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And definitely want to get into, you know, your running career um, a little more on beat baseball. I know before we started recording, we were chatting about injuries and, mm-hmm. you know, like you had said, any kind of activity, especially any sport, you know, you are prone to potentially getting hurt. And I'm curious if you want to mention any injuries that you've, you know, had in your beatball career and kind of how you overcame those. Well, you know, I, I think the great thing about beat baseball, you, and you really do kind of learn how how to fall. And then because I kept myself in, in since I'm a runner, I always kept myself in extremely good physical shape. That makes a lot of difference. But, you know, I had um, broke my ring finger twice, um, you know, sprained ankle pulled a muscle uh, in my back a couple of times, a couple of three bloody noses. So nothing, nothing really bad at all. You know, just kind of your uh, nothing that you would miss more than maybe a couple of games at. 
Sure, sure. And I know you had told me, you know, in spite of those injuries, that it never really uh, deterred you from from coming back, you know, from continuing on and, and getting up and dusting yourself off, right? Never, never thought about it twice because once again, I, uh, with all the running I did with the limited vision I had for years, I could still run on the track, but that, uh, you know, sometimes I would not see something on the track and I'd, I broke a finger running because I tripped over a curb and, and fell. I, I ran into a blocking sled that was on the track. I ran into a fence that they had put across the track. I, you know, oh, I can't tell you how many different things, but, you know, I just, I, you know, you just can't be scared. You, you know, you, you know, you've just got to know, you got to think, well, if I could see 2020 now as playing any sport, I'm going to have jammed fingers, broken fingers, you, anything you participate, uh, the blindness has not, really not that much to do with it. It's just being active. Absolutely. Yep. And I mean, just as people who are blind and visually impaired, you know, we are kind of more vulnerable to bumping into things or just getting hurt in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, so when it comes to sports, you know, like you said, you kind of have to have that mindset of, things are possible but you know the game is so enjoyable and there's so many benefits to participating that it's it's worth it to take that risk right right yeah you just it's just something that that you do and uh yeah it, it's opportunity is part of you know having the opportunity you know something to pop and doing it but be really willing to take uh uh, risk and do things that may be out of your comfort zone also is because it's just it's so easy to sit back and and be comfortable and not challenge yourself it's so true stepping outside the box and taking a chance because who knows where that could lead well and I, you know i think this big thing i was always worried about because you know i wanted to be independent and i didn't want to ask for help and i was always kind of afraid of reaction or what, uh, you know, the sighted population would say. But, you know, I found out that there's tons and tons of people out there. If you just, if you just put a, uh, you know, make the first move, there's so many people that are willing to do that. That's how, um, you know, like beat baseball. When we started that, you know, we didn't know who, would come or not and you know we ended end up making lifelong friends with our spotters and pitchers same thing uh when uh wendy fagan came down here and, and started go ball and then you know trying to find runners uh you know you you know you go out and just ask and you found these amazing runners that were willing to help and if you know if you don't willing to if you're not willing to ask or investigate and then you only have yourself to blame if you're you know stuck at home doing nothing right right exactly uh, so speaking of running um i'm definitely curious about uh you know i know you mentioned i think in high school kind of getting into track and field and uh, so when you first got into running did you always have a guide or no i i could run on the track uh pretty well uh for many years until i was a senior in high school and my field of vision got uh um really bad where I had a tendency to maybe get out of my lane some, so I, I quit running in high school and kind of thought that was it. 
And then once again, moving to Fort Worth was was kind of my godsend in so many ways because uh, I'd only been here a few months and I met, uh, since I worked at the Commission for the Blind, we did a lot of work with the Lighthouse for the Blind. And they had two orientation mobility instructors there that were both runners. And since I always enjoyed mm-hmm. running, they, you know, I talked to them and they got me into long distance running. And I'd never run more than a mile of my life, you know, as a sprinter. And uh, and then when I got that, I just fell in love with it and uh, just, you know, have done it ever since. I don't, I think I figured it out. I don't think I've ever missed more than a week of running in 25 years. You know, I've, you know, wow. every, every now and then you stop it. But I, um, you know, now lately it's been a little harder because uh, now then for the last eight years, no, I guess it's been almost 10 years, I have to use the guide. I can't run on the track anymore. So, uh, you know, I've got a tether that I use and, uh, and you know, runners uh, come and go. And I've kind of hit a jackpot here. There was a program I uh, found or a person that told me about. It's called United We Stride. It was web-based, and I just went on and put in information. I was looking for a runner, my zip code, and other people that are interested in guiding. They're on that said web web page and so they you know will answer you and i found like five different runners now doing that so i can run pretty consistently in fact i just finished a half marathon this morning oh that's right yeah how did that go <laughs> uh it was great uh i did not do as fast as i would like but at 72 i finished it in two hours and 20 minutes so that was okay <laughs> Wow. Wow. Not bad for your age. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I was pretty pleased. Exactly. Yeah. I know you did mention the tethers and I know they're different types of, you know, hand tethers or waist tethers. Mm-hmm. Or do you have a preference on a tether when it comes to running? Definitely the hand tether gives you a lot more flexibility and, and uh, you know, um, I always worry if because uh, you know, I've certainly fallen is I don't want to drag my runner down with me, you know. So with the tether, you can right. hold it pretty, you know, loose. And so if you do lose your balance, you can just let go of it, and you're not dragging your guy down on top of you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. Uh, and then, uh, so I know you did mention, uh, you know, one of your your life highlights is uh, the mar- the first marathon that you did run. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that experience. It was, I had been, you know, like I said, I've been doing some longer distance running 10Ks and 5Ks, and they have a big race in Fort Worth called the Cowtown Marathon, and I had ran the 10K, and we'd finished, and we're watching all these marathoners, and I thought, oh, my gosh, that would be so awesome. And right uh, the next year, uh, one of the colleges here, the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine, uh, offered a marathon training program and i thought well if i'm going to do it that's the way to do it so um you know there's about 20 or maybe more than that 25 there and in in it once a week you would you would meet and they would you know give you tips on on uh, what to eat what shoes what to wear training techniques and then on sun uh, saturdays you would have long runs as a group and um so they Going through that, I was, you know, able to do the marathon and and do it 
right at um a completed right under four hours like three hours and 59 minutes so wow wow that's amazing yeah how did you feel how did your body feel after that experience like someone took a club to me (laughs) 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 that that old saying uh you know the first 20 miles you know uh it's doable and those last six when you know you just burn all your energy it's like a bear jumped on your back so but uh, right (laughs) it was wow it was it was awesome (laughs) And then also, you mentioned other sports. I've, I've done uh, skiing. I didn't do, uh, I was 40 years old the first time I went skiing. And my Wendy that you've mentioned was the one that taught me uh, downhill skiing, taught me how to mm-hmm. paddleboard, um, um, you know, go ball. We'd done go ball. Um, I've done, uh, and tons of hiking i've been to over half the national parks uh me and my wife oh, wow. are huge hikers so uh she would use um uh bear ba- we call them bear bells uh, but they're just like bears like you know you think of a reindeer's wearing and she'd put them on her backpack and i could hear her and follow her and i used a hiking stick to kind of help myself over rocks and roots and stuff like that and so we were huge cool. hikers and I was trying to think of any other sports that's I've done rock climbing. Um, you know, all of this, it sounds like I'm, I'm gloating or bragging, but I'm not, there's all these anybody can do. It's just having once again, that opportunity in programs uh, like envision that Wendy had talked about on one of your podcasts, uh, or one of that gives you know young adults that opportunity uh, to do that. And in uh, meeting her, I was introduced to a lot of these and found out, you know, I love these sports and uh, they have you know even blind soccer now. And I I haven't played it. I'm really too old for that now. But just the variety of opportunities out there are incredible. And I sure encourage someone, even if you're not you don't feel like you're athletically inclined is, uh, you know, you can do walking, you can do tandem bike riding, you can do any, just to get out and get exercise, get those endorphins going to make you feel like a million bucks. Absolutely. Great words of encouragement. And I know, like you mentioned earlier, just going online and doing a little bit of research, like you found your, your guides for running. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much out there, you know, no matter where you live, if it's an urban area, rural area, um, you can probably make some type of connection to find something that you can enjoy. Yeah, with anybody that has internet connection now and, and can use Google, uh, you can find a connection uh, to get you places. And because uh, Google, you know, can find out about your podcast. You can find about like Hadley School for the Money. Find all these places. If you don't know it, there's someone out there that does know it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well said. I think great way to, to wrap up here. Alrighty. So again, we've been chatting with Scott Hudson, uh, again, uh, beat baseball hall of famer, a longtime runner, marathoner and, uh, Scott, uh, first off, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, congrats on all of your achievements and hardware that you've, you know, collected over the, the years <laughs> and, uh, really, really appreciate you taking the time here. 
Well, thanks so much, Greg. And I certainly want to encourage all your listeners to do what I said. You know, uh, get on the get on Google, find some sport that you're interested in, bowling or whatever, and, and get out there and meet people because you'll be surprised how many people are willing to help if you just give them the chance. Absolutely. Very well said. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks, Scott. To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports podcast and to subscribe, search for Eyes Free Sports on your favorite podcast platform or visit eyesfreesports.com. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports. Sports.